Welcome to the Practice Purchase Podcast, Season 6, all about successful transitions. I'm talking with Vincent Crump, Midline Dental Partners. And Vincent's job is to make sure you, as a practice owner, get the maximum amount of revenue, the maximum amount of collections per client that sits in your chair. That's his job. And uh, Vincent specializes in training your front desk, your front staff to um, code correctly, to submit insurance claims correctly, and to make sure that every dollar you're owed as a dentist actually hits your bank account. And the way he does that is he'll work with and train your staff up at the front desk. He'll um, help you with insurance negotiations. And so um, in this episode, we're going to talk about how to make sure that you as a buyer get paid for the work you're doing. Every buyer I work with is rightly concerned about making sure that the investment they're making in this gigantic practice loan is worth it. And the the primary concern is to make sure that the money hitting their bank account is worth the additional risk, the additional effort they're going to make as an owner to to fill those seats and to employ those people and hit payroll. And um, you know, a lot of a lot of buyers. Uh, again, maybe correctly, get worried about things like patient attrition. Is the is this patient base like just locked in and, and in love with the seller? And when I show up as the new buyer, I, you know, there's going to be this mass exodus of patients, which of course never happens. There's always, by the way, this is a side note, but there's always like eight to ten really vocal, really negative clients uh, on a patient base of you know fifteen hundred, eighteen hundred, two thousand patients. Uh, and it's tempting to listen to those those eight voices that are really loud and going to miss that seller. In reality, though, the patients that are coming to the practice today are going to come tomorrow when you own the practice. And the question on the table is, are you going to um, c- click and connect with those patients? And are you going to be able to see the money that uh, you deserve from doing the work for those those same patients? Uh, you know, Vincent and I got in touch. This is an interesting story. Just to uh, talk about networking, kind of going back to season two, how do you find a practice? I noticed uh, that in a, a very popular um, Facebook group, Dental Nachos, uh, Vincent and I kept answering the same questions over and over. <laughs> and, and I was like, "Does Vincent do what I do? Is he a is he a you know a buyer's agent? Does he do accounting for dental transitions?" And so I reached out and I was like, "Hey, you like you know so much and like." Yeah, I'd love to get to know you better. Uh, it turns out we're, we're not – I was worried we were competitors. We're not at all. And um, what he does is super complimentary to what we do. So um, I tell people when you're buying a practice, there are two required people you need to have on your team, lawyer and accountant. I'm the accountant, obviously. And there's a possible third that you might need to hire depending on the practice you're buying. If your practice collects any kind of insurance, even if it's just one insurance company, it pays to have someone, A, help you with the process of credentialing with that or those insurance companies, and to negotiate the fees and rates and to train the staff and to make sure, again, that every dollar you're owed for the work you're doing actually hits your bank account. So with that, let's talk to Vincent Crump from Midline Dental Partners and uh, enjoy. So Vincent Crump, CEO of Midline Dental Partners, thank you for being a part of the Practice Purchase Podcast. The tagline that I love from your business is um, is so compelling. It's earn more without added chair time. How in the world does Midline do that? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And first off, thanks for having me on. It's great talking with you. Uh, so it's twofold, really. We focus on revenue cycle management 
and we also focus on PPO optimization. So the first part being revenue cycle management, we actually look at the data sets that go into your patient management software and make sure that's as clean as possible. So clean data going into the insurance companies, correct attachments are going in, means that life cycle of the dollar is going to happen faster, which gives you the ability to get the money in your bank account faster, create better profitability. Now, on the second side of that, it's looking at what your average write-off is. What's your saturation in the market? And really saying, now, I just need more for my PPO insurances. It's looking at your market saturation and your competitor analysis and saying, hey, you know what? I have realized that three of my five competitors within this radius are fee for service. I can go to the insurance company and say, I'm willing to stay in network, but I, I need something better from you. Mm-hmm. So it gives you that leverage point and you you would really be shocked at how much insurance companies will come back and say, well, you, yeah, you know what? We'll, we'll give you a 15% better on average per code fee schedule. And when you're seeing, you know, like let's just say MetLife, it's 20% of your patient base and you get a 15% bump on 20% of your patient base. Yep. It starts to add up. Okay. Yeah. So let me, let me dive a little deeper on each of those two. Cause I get the PPO negotiations a little more obvious to me in my feeble brain, <laughs> <laughs> the revenue cycle management, that's not quite as obvious to me. So when you say clean data in clean data out, what are you talking about? And, and how does that help me as a dentist actually collect more money on the same number of patients? So it's denial rates, uh, you know, as much wow. as outsourcing is prevalent, it's very helpful in dentistry, but because of the complexity of dental insurance and their websites, there's no way to fully automate AI right now. Got so it. clean data sets means coaching your team members to understand how to read payer numbers, what claims addresses go with which, what fee schedules should be attached yeah. to said carriers. Yep. A lot of what happens is you have the right insurance company, but if you have the wrong fee schedule and Jane Smith comes in and you do two crowns, oh, there's a $400 variance in the fee schedules because one wrong thing was attached. Well, what do we all do in the dental world? Well, we don't want to upset her as a patient. So we're, we're going to go ahead and write that right off. Eat it. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. And what's so interesting to me about what you just described is I think if I were sitting in a business school class like my MBA program in Michigan... The, uh, the professor up in the front of the room would assume that the dentist who owns the dental practice has that stuff locked down. Like they understand the intricacies, the ins and outs, and they're training the front desk. They're training the, the audit system that fills in for, you know, XYZ person that's on vacation there is on maternity leave. But you and I both know, and I know from my clients, when we're talking about the intricacies of what you just described, your average dentist is actually being trained by the person sitting at the front desk. Yes. May or may, and what I hear you saying implicitly is that person may or may not, probably may not know the exact right way to do it, but you do. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah absolutely. And it, and it also comes down to, as you said, the dentist as the owner makes the financial decisions for the practice. And what I run into on a regular basis, especially in the world you play in, in the transitionary world, is a lot of these selling doctors years and years ago signed off on paperwork that they didn't think was a big deal. The front desk didn't really know about it. And then when you're to revenue cycle management, when you're processing these payments, there's fee schedules out there that exist that the front office doesn't even realize they're participating in. Yeah. So it just goes to the, you need to make sure that, you know, 
the word organize is in organization. So you would think common <laughs> sense wise, probably should no. get as organized as possible to have a good organization. In the defense of dentists, though, it's a they're, they're busy job, right? And, you know, if I can maximize chair time, my additional man, it's, it's either eat lunch or um, spend a little time thinking about codes and attachments. Yeah. On it. I'm going to go eat lunch because I'm hungry, right? So, you know, I, I, I wouldn't be any different than your average dentist if I were in the seat. So, okay, so um, how, how do that just, you know, um, you and I get connected because our, our clients tend to be kind of the same group of people or at least pretty overlapping Venn diagrams of, of clientele. Yeah. But you and I kind of do something different. So um, I think your average person would think, hey, that's perfect. So, Vincent, you can help me buy my practice, right? Like you're going to be able to tell me if the practice I'm buying is a good one. And and you would say? I would say go to Brian because <laughs> that is it's not that I can't do it. But just like when you send someone to a specialist, it's that I know someone has a better set of skills to do that exact suited piece. And what I do more so complements what you do, Brian, in the sense right. that, you know, you and I both know about remittance agreements and change of ownership. And that's where my company comes into play in the transitionary space, both in first time buyer and people adding additional practices. As you know, if the right paperwork isn't processed, these insurance companies are going to take some of these payments and they're going to process them under the old entity and totally. send it to the last bank account. Yeah. Checks going and, the wrong place. Yep. Yep. And you know, as well as I do, what is the first time buyer? Because it is a flurry of things that hit them in the first month. All they do is they print out a report from their patient management software and say, okay, I didn't buy the AR in this scenario. Yeah. I owe this doctor this much minus 5%, not realizing that $10,000 of that money already went to the seller because <laughs> of the insurance issue. So that's yeah. what we handle is making sure a change of ownership goes through coaching first-time buyers and even people that are building groups on how to actually manage and track where those revenues are going to make sure that your accounts receivable stay as clean as possible and you're not double paying sellers. I've had those occurrences where yeah, I get brought in 45 days later and I do an audit for them and I say, well, you actually overpaid the seller by $22,000 now we all got to sit down and I get to be the guy to explain why $22,000 went to the wrong place and how to fix it. And I like to avoid those conversations. <laughs> I'm sure in every case, the seller's just happy to write that check right back to the buyer. Oh, absolutely. And to say, you know, and to a remittance agreement, it's a, yeah. hey, we need to see your bank account. Well, why do you need to see my bank account? Yeah. Uh, there's documentation showing that we're actually allowed to, but it's never explained unless yeah. they have someone like you. So, okay, Vincent, I'll, before I get to the right time to hire you and bring you in, I want to understand the process a little better because I think that'll help me understand the timing. Yeah. Um, how long do you work with a typical client and what does that engagement typically look like? I, obviously, I've got you've got to be in Open Dental, you know, Dentrix, EagleSoft, you're pulling reports and things, but this doesn't sound like... Um, it doesn't sound like you're with me for the lifetime of my ownership. It sounds like... Yeah. A period of time, but how long is that period and what does it look like? So typically it is a year uh, that we do and it more so starts before the close to the point of when you yeah. get into due diligence, I need to be able to see who the current company is contracted with, being able to pull their procedure code reports, everything that you help them pull to say like, hey, is this a viable practice to purchase? 
I look at the same things before close so I can put a network strategy together saying, hey, you might perfect example is a client that I just started with last week that they closed Monday and they were it's a Delta Dental or fee for service. I go in and say, okay, well, it's actually Delta Dental and they have DHA as a lease network and they have Zealous as a lease network and they're actually contracted with Cigna. I like to be able to identify all of that ahead of time. So then if there needs to be any adjustment in the purchase price, that's something you can negotiate with them. So it starts typically 45 days to close. Okay. If you're going the, I'm starting is out of network, I want to build a clean network structure, it's right around 90 to 150 days to get through picking up lease network and then having the MetLife signals, all of those pick up through those networks. Yep. And after that, I help to make sure that the insurance companies are paying how they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. I coach your team on how to manage revenue cycle management. And then from the new first time buyer side, I really actually work with the doctors to understand how to do a 12 month rolling trend saying, Mm -hmm. here's your revenue. This is the percentages that are coming from each respective payer. And then if you're working X amount of days and your hygienists are working X amount of days, this is how you can actually set goals. It's it gives you an idea of this is how much revenue you can generate based on your speed clinically and your procedure mix. How, how do you train the staff? What is that? Is that Zoom meetings? Are you on the phone? Do you fly out? How does that work? Depends on the size of it. The majority of it is virtual. I do have some clients that want to do in person, but I start from the most basic things of infrastructure. So I look at the commonality of challenges that front offices have. And a lot of times it's as simple as we don't know how to use the benefit portals. We have a what they call a Bible and they show me over Zoom a massive binder that's got about this much whiteout over each page for changed passwords. So I show them how to structure those pieces. And then I have regular touch points and I teach them, this is how you read EOBs. This is how lease network structure works. This is how you guys can focus on your patient capacity. So yeah. I try to cover every administrative aspect of what a practice should do. Mm-hmm. And I do have also, you know, an expanded service where I have a background running groups. I can dive deeper into the OPEX, the operating expense control with owners, if they feel that's something that's necessary with them. Usually the first time buyers, first year, I tell them it's like not even being a D1. It's like the first two months of being a D1. So let's focus on core structure. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. No, for sure. Um, So, uh, and so many follow-up questions. First place I want to go, and I think this is a quick one, is this sounds like it can be beneficial even for non-first-time buyers. In other words, I've owned my practice for a year, three, five years or whatever. Um, you can still come in and help, correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So yeah. that's where I find coding opportunities, how to manage exp- things that you see, how to manage expenses and consumables. Mm-hmm. What is your actual, you know, like rent? utilities are you staying in alignment there yeah and then yes making sure you have a good strong like do you have a good cpa do you have a good attorney yeah as a a dental cpa i was having those conversations a lot but it stopped at wow your lab fees are 11 percent. my average client is six percent you should probably bring that down to which the dentist then replies how and then I would get lost, you know, 10 years ago when I started doing this. Now my answer is go talk to Vincent, but okay, good. Um, So 
what about the situation where, um, so is there a risk if I don't hire you immediately, I get through the transition, I go credential, I go in network, like, um, and then three months into ownership, six months into ownership, can, can I still hire you? Because, um, my, my understanding is there's kind of a, there's a period where I'm locked in. I can't necessarily negotiate with these insurance companies and, and you may be able to kind of give me some analysis, but I may not be able to renegotiate for a period of time. Is that true? Oh, it's 100% true. So let's just, I'm just going to pick on one. Let's just sure. say it's MetLife for instance. So typical average write-offs that I'm seeing, if you do a direct contract with MetLife is about 56% if you're in the 70th percentile of UCRs. Okay. Lease network, even if you get yourself down to 30%, you're talking about a 20 to 25% differential in write-off. Hmm. Well, statistically, MetLife will account for anywhere from 15 to 20% of your patient base. Yep. So if you're doing a million dollars, MetLife accounts for 200 grand. That 20% 20 of that number starts to get pretty big. Yeah. 40,000 yeah. a year. Yeah. And right. if you're an 800K practice, that's, I mean, that's a literal 5% profitability boost with, with to my tagline. Yeah. Extra money, yeah, yeah. no chair time. Same number of patients, one one doc's collecting an extra 50, 80, $100,000 in the other doc because they've optimized their insurance. Okay. Yep. So one um, issue that I know uh, we run into that I'm sure you run into is the seller doesn't want to let people know that they're transitioning, right? They're not, I don't want to tell people I'm selling the practice. I need money to hit my bank account first. Then you can start talking to the staff. What happens in those situations? Let's say my client wants to hire you, but they can't hire you until the day after closing. Can you still help that client or should they just go ahead and credential and then call you in two years? Like what's the best solution there? Oh, no, it's exactly that. You've seen the due diligence portion of it that I actually am more of a fan of being selective of when you notify the staff mm -hmm. because there are problems that pop up. But yeah, I absolutely can work in the background. All I need is access to data. I don't necessarily need access to team members because the in the first 60 days, the majority of what happens is more so interaction between the insurance company and the buyer. Yeah, Those yeah. are the biggest pieces of it. And, you know, you run into issues. I had another client. It was the same thing. She uh, signed me on about 30 days before close. And we go to Starbucks and we sit down to have coffee. And she starts showing me all this paperwork. And she's like, yeah, they, you know, they just told me to sign this. It's not a big deal. All direct and network yeah. contracts. Yeah. And I'm like, have you negotiated? She's like, no, this is just for me to be able to build to them. I'm like, no, this is a this is a one year tie in relationship that you're about to sign off on. But it's to your point that you said a few minutes ago, it's the unawareness of doctors and it's not their fault. The amount of clinical right, right. knowledge they have to retain and then continue to do through yeah. CE, th there's no space for it mentally. Yep. 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 Okay, got it. Um, what does the average client see in a bump? It, uh, and I know that's going to depend, but do you have like a, my average client sees 5% more revenue, 10%, like should there, is there a, a, a target that I should shoot for? So if I, if we're talking more in full advisory, like if we're talking about taking care of revenue cycle management, PPO optimization, and then the OPEX control aspects that we see from the bloated line items that are the typical sellers, 
30 to 35% in profitability is more of the measure of what I see. Yeah. So a 30% bump above what they made before. Mm -hmm. Wow. What, what if I didn't do the operating expenses, you weren't looking at uh, rent and, and lap fees and dental supplies and things. You were just doing the, the uh, cash revenue management and the uh, insurance negotiations. Usually 20% or so. Nice. That's, That's the typical gain. Got it. And then how much do you charge and how do you charge? Yep. So uh, I do a twenty four ninety nine analysis. So if we're talking first time buyer, it's typically one yep. practice. So twenty four ninety nine for analysis and the onboarding aspect of going through the purchase process. Mm-hmm. And then it's seven forty nine a month for eleven months. So it comes right oh. out to about eleven thousand dollars. But yep. I, most of my clients end up having a you know a fifteen times. ROI on me. Yeah, I was going to say 11000 to make an additional, you know, if, if I buy a million dollar practice, you say in 20%, well, that's two and a grand plus that you got to factor in the mental load of someone yeah. else training my staff, someone else kind of handling negotiations. That's definitely worth something, even if I can't assign a dollar value to having somebody else owning a big piece of the process for me. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're absolutely time's the biggest commodity and it can't yeah. be measured, but it is that is true. It's very That's true. Cool. Um, Vincent, what other um, aspects uh, around this come commonly come up? What are some intelligent questions I'm not asking? Um, so, things that you speak to all the time is ad backs, getting mm-hmm. a better understanding of ad backs. And, you know, when doctors look at practices and they think, well, the profit margin looks razor thin. And I know this is why you're so valuable to these buyers, Brian, is exactly that. With ad backs, you have to make sure that you're seeing, okay, I can get 5% back in the consumables because they're just ordering what they can. You're then seeing they're not paying attention to, oh, I'm buying the real estate. Well, that's a pass-through income. So the way I'm going to look at that is we can set your rent structure to then make sure you take care of your real estate note and still have back end income. So it might not be reflective on your W-2, mm-hmm. but you have to look at your overall income stream. So again, building a strong team of advisors to go through the first part of the process is invaluable where it seems like it costs a lot up front, but when you have that infrastructure from the start, it pays hundreds That's of huge. thousands of dollars of dividend over the course of your career. Yeah, I, uh, you know, just like I was joking with a, a seller yesterday, I guess I could pull out a, a metal scraper and, you know, clean my own teeth, but I'm just going to pay a hygienist 150 bucks. Like they, mm-hmm. they're going to be better at it. They're going to be faster. My, the results are going to be ultimately better. And I'm going to be able to spend my time doing something else more valuable. And it's kind of the same deal. And it, what I, um, I tell a lot of buyers um, without question, you have to hire an attorney. That's always number one. Yeah. And I always, I always joke like, you know, it's, it's accountant and attorney are kind of the two most common. Oh yeah. And, and I'm the accountant. Right. And I say, well, if you need to save money, save money on me, don't hire me, go hire the, the, the attorney for sure. Yeah. And then I say an accountant is kind of a must just to get through the, you know, and, and understand, is it a good practice? Is the price fair? I mean, blah, blah, blah. And I say um, a third potential person you might want to hire, depending on the practice is, uh, someone to help with the insurance, someone to help with the process of collecting money in the practice. And that's you, right? Yeah. Yeah, yep, absolutely. Perfect. And it, it is. It's the the missed revenues. And, and I mean, how many times have you evaluated a practice and you look and how bloated is the old AR? <laughs> yeah. Um, and 
Yeah. Yeah. And then collection rates are, oh, they're collecting 84%. That's where I look at it and say, well, if I get you to 97% collections, even with no lift, I just gained you 12% revenue with doing nothing different. Everybody's really worried about patient attrition. And um, at, at, this is just a, a tangent. The yeah. average patient attrition for my clients is actually a negative number, meaning the average client, my, my buyers add net new patients to the practice. Mm-hmm. because, And it's not hard to think why they're, they're motivated, they're energetic, et cetera. But um, even if, right, you're, uh, um, I had a, a Muslim dentist was worried about buying in kind of a white a suburban area. Yes. But hey, listen. You know, that that's a real concern. I'm glad you're thinking about it. But even if, and she was female, by the way, which female dentists always do way better. <laughs> they, they never worry about attrition. But um, I said, like, um, even if the worst case comes to fruition, like we have these contingencies. Uh, and what you're saying is, gosh, if you can just manage each client and optimize each client that's in your chair and, and simply get what's fair from each client. Um, yeah. not You're not like stealing money from someone. You're not like sneakily getting extra funds. You're just not losing what the average dentist is losing. Yeah. Yeah, Well, and there are parts of it in that process, like coding, for instance, that they miss so much on that, you know, I'll, I'll typically find just in changing hygiene cadences and radiographic cadences a five Mm -hmm. to 8% lift. Wow. And all you have to speak to is standard of care. You can't treat what you can't see. So let me show you how to code and actually get paid for finding things that keep people healthy. Super cool. Hey, um, Vincent, uh, the name of the company is Midline Dental Partners. And coincidentally, the uh, website is midlinedentalpartners.com. You've got book a consultation right on the website. Is that the best thing for people to do? Or is there kind of a resource? Or is there something that people should read up on or get familiar with before they call you? No, consultation is the best because as you find with doctors, even though there's common grounds, every journey is different and every doctor is looking for something different. So that's something we do is we have a core structure of what we do, but we tailor it to your practice because as you said, demographics, the, you know, figuring out, is this the right approach for you? If you're going to be, I want to be a hybrid doctor five years down the road, you will have a very different strategy than someone that's, I want to do bread and butter filling and crown for the rest of my career. Yeah, no, that's true. That's a good point. Um, work in all 50 states? Any any place you won't work? No, all 50. If I can vacation yeah. off to Hawaii more often, that would be yeah. wonderful. <laughs> yeah, where are my Puerto Rico buyers? Come on, people. No, I know. No. Yeah. Um, well, great. Vincent, uh, midlinedentalpartners.com. We'll put your contact information in the show notes for this episode. And we can't thank you enough for being a part of Practice Purchased. Oh, yeah. I appreciate you having me on, Brian. Thanks. Thank you.